Uh, the sermon this morning, a message is entitled, The End. The End. Now, recently in uh, movie making, there's been a big trend of universe building. That's been a huge thing. And uh, movie companies and studios are pumping out sequel after sequel every year, adding new characters and origin stories, and they're building this whole giant universe. Marvel and DC are one of the two biggest ones, but they're also lesser-known universes, like the MonsterVerse of Godzilla and King Kong, and they're building this whole thing there as well. Now, the Marvel Universe is by far the most successful, grossing $21 billion over 22 movies. Now, chaos and tumult in the world always leaves people searching for heroes. And it's no coincidence that the birth and the rise of superheroes, Superman, Batman, coincides directly with the uncertainty and fear that was in the world during World War II. And uh, people are searching for heroes today as well. But people are particularly invested in the characters in the universe that Marvel has built. So much so that when Avengers Endgame came out in April, that a man was beaten as he left the movie theater because he was screaming out to the people in line the ending of that movie. And they beat him. They're serious about it. There's some big fans there. But see, the amazing thing and the awesome thing is this. When it comes to theology, there is no twist ending. And there are no spoilers. We sing about it often and we're comforted by the thought of Jesus putting a period at the end of this age and making all things new. An old hymn says it this way. Come ye that love the Lord and let your joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. And thus surround the throne and thus surround the throne. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, that beautiful city of God. Then let our songs be bound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high, to fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion. We think about the end and we see the uh, story as it is unfolded, and we look forward to that day when Jesus comes back. Songs like this are woven into our culture as Christians. Sing this one along with me if you know it. Put that slide up there. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, 
that will be. In this world of struggle and brokenness, we have a future to look forward to. We have a day that we can look forward to because we know how it all ends. Politics and injustice, disease and racism, poverty and death all seem like impossible problems to solve, but they do have an end. And there is an answer, and his name is Jesus. See, the Bible weaves for us a future where Christ puts all things under his feet and sets everything right and makes all things new. There's a revolution coming. Now, the Jews in Jesus' day were disappointed that Jesus had no interest in political revolution during his first coming. But see, they were just impatient because in his second coming, the Bible says he will not come in meekness but in power. Matthew 24, 30, uh, uh, yeah, Matthew 24, 30 says this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Every government will be voided, all power and all honor and all glory will be given to the King of Kings. The Apostle John gives us a glimpse of the future in Revelation chapter 7, if you would turn in your Bibles there this morning, Revelation chapter 7, that's where we're going to be all this morning. And John paints this picture in words. So let's first, before we uh, read it, before we listen to it, let's try and imagine this world that he paints for us. He shows us what the future is going to hold. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to be here all this morning, but before we go further, let's just listen to this description of this coming revolution. Just imagine it as I read it. Revelation 7, 9. After this, John says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God wiped away every tear from their eye. You could look up here. Today, as we study these portions, we're following along with a study by Eric Mason. 
And he says this about this passage. He says, eschatology means the last things. What Revelation is about is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this passage is a portal, a passage into the future. John's imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos and he's alone. Many other followers of the faith have been martyred. And an angel comes to him in a vision and takes him on a journey. And it's like a Christmas carol. The angel takes him through the things past and the things present and the things to come. And he brings him to earth and shows him a mess. And then he takes him to heaven. And earth is such a mess that the angels has to hurry up and take John to heaven to see what things are going to be like. So he won't be discouraged. And if John needed help in some perspective to understand all that was happening, how much more do we? See, we can let all this that is wrong in this world today make us forget that this won't last. Wickedness and evil may seem to run rampant, but they have an expiration date. How many of you want to know that date, right? When Jesus comes back? How many of you want to know? I don't know. I don't know. I can't give you a date. There was once a man who wrote a book, and this is real. This isn't a joke. He wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I think he was off by a few years, right? The Bible is clear that no one knows the day or the hour. And we can get discouraged when we see all that's going on on this earth. But when we think and look towards our future and what heaven will look like, it changes everything. This isn't just for Americans either. This picture in Revelation says that there are people from every tribe, every nation, and all languages. And they'll stand before the throne crying out, salvation belongs to the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light. But Jesus is there to usher us into God's presence, to allow us to be present with God without his holiness destroying us. It's all because of Jesus. It's amazing. This future that John shows us uh, says that all the people are standing before the throne of God. Normally you would bow, right, before the king. But we're not. We're standing. But we're not standing because of our own worth, but because the worthiness of Jesus. We're standing clothed in white robes that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, all holding palm branches as a symbol of a victory celebration. Craig Keener says, uh, palm branches celebrated the victory of Israel's exodus from Egypt and the feast that commemorated God's faithfulness to them during their wanderings in the wilderness when they were totally dependent on him. Every year we remember Palm Sunday and that celebration when Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem like a king. But here in this passage, there is no crucifixion after, only victory. So this crowd of multi-ethnic people is celebrating their salvation and they do not do it quietly. They cry out with a loud voice, completely unashamed. I imagine this will be the loudest and most enthusiastic crowd of all time. No football fan or concert goer would ever be able to match this intensity of this crowd. Why? Because Jesus is in the building. Jesus will be right there in front of us. We won't be looking for our loved ones that have passed on. We won't be looking for Paul to ask him questions about theology. 
No, our faith will have become sight right there before our eyes. And if you're saved and you're there with me, we're going to be shouting when we finally see Jesus. No half-hearted, sleepy worship, worrying about what the person thinks next to us. No embarrassment over getting too excited about Jesus. We will worship with abandon. And he is worthy of every ounce of that praise from every culture, every color, every language. It says there that they're all crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to the Lord our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Put that verse up there again. How many of y'all want to have a little piece of heaven this morning, right? Amen? Let's try it out. You ready? We're going we're to cry out like we will in the future. If you're here and you're saved this morning, you're going to be there, and we're all going to be crying out with a loud voice. You ready? We'll start with salvation. You do it with me. You ready? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's do it one more time. We'll do it a little louder. You ready? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's do it one more time. You ready? Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about getting your wings, right, or playing harps. It's all going to be about Jesus. And you are proof of the love and the mercy and how good God is, even though you didn't deserve it. And your salvation is the proof that God is who he said he is. Look what happens next in verse 11. It says, all the angels are surrounding this whole scene, the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And I'm sure they remember what we used to look like, right? How some of us were sexually promiscuous and some of us were dependent on alcohol, how some of us were full of pride and some of us were full of hate. Some of us have worshipped the temporary. But then when they see what we look like now and how we stand before a holy God, I can't tell you what they're thinking, but I do know this. After we scream out, salvation belongs to the Lord, in verse 11, it says, the angels fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. They cannot deny how wise and gracious and worthy of honor and full of power and might our God is. And you are the living proof of that. In verse 14, John's attention is turned to a specific group of people. Those people coming out of the great tribulation. These broken and persecuted people are the nearest to God's presence. He shelters them and he wipes away their tears. And he quenches their thirst and their hunger. See, God has always have a heart, had a heart for broken people. And that will never change. But you don't have to wait till heaven. God offers you that quenching of thirst and hunger right now. If you're broken this morning, God wants you to come to him so he can shelter you and wipe away your tears this morning. I can't promise that every problem that you have will go away or that all your hurts will be healed. But I can promise that you have the attention of the greatest and most powerful being in the universe. And he wants you to rest in him today. 
And then after all this, John finally gets to see the grand finale. Fourth of July is right here around the corner. You know the end, right? Everybody's saying ooh and ah and ooh and ah as the fireworks go up. And then they get to the grand finale. It far outweighs any of the rest. First, John had seen the church and the angels and the elders and the four living creatures. And his mind's blown. But then, Revelation 9, 11, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head is many diadems. And he has a name written that no one else knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword which strikes down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I bet you didn't realize Jesus had at least one tattoo, right? King of Kings and Lord of Lords right there. But Jesus... He's coming. His clouds are open. He's on his white horse, his full power on display, never again to be doubted or questioned. Why? Because all will know who he is, and everything changes. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. All corrupt authorities and systems will be judged. The just king will punish evil once and for all. No more bad things happening to good people. No more pain and suffering for the innocent. No more poverty, racism, wars, slavery, killings, sicknesses, or sin. Jesus will hand all the kingdoms back to his Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdoms of God uh, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. If the church can keep this image of what is to come before us, we will be energized to accomplish his uh, purpose here on this earth. If you could wake up with knowing that I know the end and I know in the end Jesus wins, what do we actually have to worry about? The things that we fret about, the things that we look at in the future and we worry about so much that's going to happen. But really, God has already told us what's going to happen. And if we could be a church that lives with the end in mind, We will be unified as one body, working across economic and ethnic lines to accomplish the purpose that God has left us here for. In 2018, uh, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, amen? And a few of my friends and I went to uh, the parade there in Philadelphia, and the city was packed with people. There was a celebration like I had never seen before. All the people wearing one color, one jersey, green. Almost one million people had forgotten their differences and their frustration because their team had finally won. And when Jesus returns, we'll all have one jersey on 
We'll be robed in white. And we'll put away all of our differences. And we'll shout with one voice together, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. We must live with the end in mind. And that is why we must push to fill the streets with the gospel. Not because we want a mega church, but because Jesus said that there will be, one, uh, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. Jesus loves to save one more. Every time someone gets saved, heaven rejoices. And then he urges us, one more, one more. And as long as God leaves the church here, we must continue to push for one more broken life mended, one more soul saved, one more sheep brought to the good shepherd to bring him glory. See, there are no spoilers. There is no twist ending. God wins. He gets the glory and we get to celebrate with him. And that's the challenge this morning. We must live with the end in mind bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as the worship team comes. If these thoughts this morning don't get you excited, something's off. If you're dreading that future day when you get to see Jesus, something needs to get right inside you. I know there's, you know, lots of blanks that we don't have filled in. There's a lot we don't know about the future. But we know this, we serve a good God, and our God loves us. And if we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we've got nothing but joy to look forward to. But too often we get bogged down in this world. There's a reason the Bible calls us strangers and pilgrims and foreigners and immigrants it's because this world is not our home. We have a home in heaven, a home in the future to look forward to. When Jesus and God put all things under their feet and they rule and reign forevermore. And the sting of death and the stench of sin will no longer rule this earth. Maybe this morning you just need to recalibrate your perspective. Maybe you're bogged down in this temporary, in building a little kingdom for yourself here on this earth. It's okay to like plan and think about the future. But the Bible warns us that where our treasure is, our heart is. Where we build is where we put our heart. The Bible encourages us to build, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt or where thieves can't break in and steal. You've got to live with the end in mind. Wake up every morning realizing today might be hard. Someone might have done me wrong. I might have failed again. But in the end, God's going to make all things right. 
And that's a reason to get back up. That's a reason for hope. It's a reason for encouragement. Let's take a few minutes right now. Ask God to reshift our focus back from the temporary things and the burdens of this world for that future celebration. We get to stand before God.